0: Well, tonight will be the second lament I have ever preached. The first one was during COVID lockdown. It was Psalms 77 and learned a lot about laments during COVID. Um, There's a man and many of you might remember him. He was our interim DOM named Mark Clifton, Um, had some family who used to be a pastor over in the Chillicothe area. And he was talking with a lot of us Missouri pastors and then a lot of NAM pastors um, and, and was talking about the gift of lament and lamenting during COVID. Which then opened up a lot of things about lamenting and a lot of great resources that he gave. One of them being the book um, "Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies" by Mark Rogroup. And so, the gift of lament is given to us from God. It's not a man-made thing. If you think about it, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is the book, or is the prophet Jeremiah lamenting over Israel's destruction, over Israel's sin. And just the hardship that he watched and he went through as the prophet of God. Over half of the Psalms are lamenting Psalms. David wrote lots of lamenting Psalms, lots of crying out. And even times when he was running from Saul in the cave and running from the Philistines. And even when his own sin brought hardship, he lamented because he found it as a gift. Now, you might not think about that. You might not think that lamenting to God, crying out to God in a sorrowful way is a gift, especially in this day and age. A lot of times crying out or taking complaints to God can be seen as a weakness, can be seen as something we are not to do. But God gave us laments to help us deal with a hard world and its hardship. The Lord knew that sin would cause trials, even trials that are on our fault. If you think of COVID, that was no one's fault here in the United States. It was no one's fault around the world. It might've been, you know, you know how COVID existed, but the people who dealt with COVID, most of it wasn't our fault. But yet through Jesus, we can lament to him. Through God, we can to God, we can go lamenting to him during a difficult time. Death, as we know, death is a curse. It's put upon us because of the punishment of the garden. Again, we can lament. Scotty Smith says this about lament. Lament is a gift from God to us. It validates the full range of emotions that come from witnessing injustice and evil, expressing loss and fearing and feeling powerless and helpless in a world God has promised to put right. Lament neither neither rushes to closure nor stays stuck in despair. It is a grieving with questions and challenged hope before God's welcoming, but sometimes hidden Face, and this is what we're going to see here tonight. Is David is crying out to God and thinks that God has left him, that God has hidden His face from him as he is fleeing from one of his enemies. We do not know who. We could it be King Saul? It could be other enemies that he's being chased. But he feels like God has abandoned him. It'll be Psalms 13. And I hope as we go over the, tonight the model of lament that it'll help us express our grief that we have maybe now or grief to come in the future. And hopefully we can use it to be able to bring our griefs to the Lord and help us to trust him better. Mark Vro group has four steps in lamenting. And I want to point this out before we look at them. Each step does not have a time limit. So for some, they might stay longer on one of these steps than others, and some might go through it faster, and it's okay. You go out lamenting at your own pace. It's like those that break a bone or have a problem, each one of us heal differently than the other person. And that's okay, we shouldn't compare each other. Same with lamenting. We should take time to cry out to God and not to rush in our mourning. So the first stages here of lament is number one, which is go to God. And so it it seems very simple, but a lot of people when they're upset and depressed, they don't wanna go to God. But the first one is to go to God. The second is when we go to God, we bring our complaints to God. And again, complaints has been given a bad light in this day and age, but this isn't a bad complaining. This is a good complaining. Um, You can see, we're gonna see David doing that here in a minute. Number three is ask boldly. As it tells us, we are allowed to approach the throne of God boldly thanks to Christ Jesus. We're allowed to come boldly. And then number four, we choose to trust God. Sometimes when lamenting happens, our situation does not change. And then we might still be in a horrible trial. And at some point we might have just to say, God, I trust you. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why this is so hard, but I trust you. Now in the lamenting Psalms, you do not see all four steps. There's a few Psalms that you never see them ever turn the corner to trust God. It just ends with them complaining and blaming God for their problems yet we gotta remember that God allowed this in his word. He allowed those psalms to be there. Psalms 88 is one of those psalms. And it's because God understands that life is hard and it can be hard to trust him, especially when we don't get to see what's around the corner. We're not omnipresent, so we can't be everywhere. We're not all powerful. We don't have all knowledge. God has all things. So he understands that there's gonna be times we don't understand and we might not fully trust him. And that's where his grace and mercy comes from. As a reminder, David is called the man after God's own heart. God called him that. And yet he ran to God and cried out in lamenting psalms. And some of his psalms you think is maybe a little too bold. But yet God understood and said, this is a man after my own heart. Meaning God understood his laments. David knew that God was understanding and compassionate and he knew that God wanted him to come to him and to cry out. And that is what David did. And that is our, in our first point here, of uh, point number one, cry out to God. And we're going to see that here in Psalms 13, verses one and two. And David writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? So these two verses, these two first verses here, we see David crying out. And how long is in this chapter alone is repeated four times. Because David feels like everything is going very wrong for a very long time and is very intense. And David is ready for deliverance. David is tired of whatever this suffering, this trial that is coming upon him. And so he's going to God and saying, God, how long are you gonna let me suffer? How long, God? David is going to God and he's bringing his complaints to God. You know, when I went through my amputation and had the complications, there was intense amount of pain and there was a great amount of pain for not just a few days, we were on months. And I wondered, how long, God? is this my new life? Is this my permanent life stuck in a chair? Especially when the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong and they took my leg away from me so I couldn't walk on it because it was causing more damage than it was helping. And I was just sitting there saying, is this it? You know, if I left my foot, nothing good was gonna come of it. And then so we went to the amputation, it's not working. How long am I to suffer, God? I understand somewhat what David's feeling like here. And maybe you've been there. Maybe the hours of intense pain, which makes the hours of the day tick by even slower. If you've ever been sick with the flu or with a cold or ever stuck laid up on your back or something, the days just seem to tick by longer than they do in a normal time. When you just can't get out of the bed or can't get out of the house and you can't move, it just seems to dread and goes on and on and on. This is what David's facing. David is, is stuck somewhere. This could be when he's stuck in the cave and can't be able to go to his father's house. This could be when he's stuck in his enemy's lands with the Philistines. And he's sitting there wondering, how long, God? I didn't do anything wrong with King Saul, yet he wants to kill me. I have to flee and leave not only my home with my father and brothers, but I gotta leave the promised land. I gotta leave Israel and live in the uncircumcised Philistines. How long, God? When are you gonna put me back on the throne like you promised? When is this gonna happen, God? This could be the questions that David is thinking. Maybe it's the questions about his sin. He knows that his sin cost him consequences and cost him his throne for a little while. And his son is chasing him down. And maybe he's wondering, when are you gonna have this mercy and compassion? You said you forgave me. How long? My son is being evil. My son is sinning. How long? We don't know exactly, again, the circumstances, but we know that, Paul, that David is gashing out in his soul and crying out. If you think about the outward body, it can only take so much damage before it dies. Only, you, know, you can only take so many broken bones or so much trauma to the body before it gives up and dies. But the soul, as Charles Spurgeon says, can be killed over a 1,000 times or stabbed over a thousand times and still go on in that anguish and that pain. And a lot of people, they, on the outward body, they look fine. They look good. But on the inside, they're hurting deeply. And not only are they hurting deeply, they are crying out for somebody to notice and wondering how long. And sometimes they wonder so much that they can't take it much more. And unfortunately, they turn to suicide or other ways of self-harm. During COVID, it showed just how bad our our mental health was with a lot of people. And even after COVID, suicide has been on the rise. A lot of people who don't understand that the hurt inside, they don't know how to express it. And the answers are here with lamenting, especially for us Christians. So now it's David here as he goes on to his second point. His despair gets worse As he cries out, he now, within the second point of lament, he takes his complaints to God, as we saw in verse two. David was depressed in three ways. First, in his relationship with God, he was depressed. Second, within himself. And third, in regards to his enemies. So yes, David faced depression multiple times. Mighty King David, the young lad who stood before Goliath and had boldness that no one else could have. And so he battled depression. And if you think about it, if David can get depressed, we can too, and we will. Christians will get depressed. If you ever studied Charles Spurgeon's life, you'll know that most of his life, he battled depression. They didn't know what it was at the time, but at one point, they put Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher called the Prince of Preachers, that wonderful Baptist preacher, they put him on suicide watch at one point because he was so bad that he thought about ending his own life. Christians can and will get depressed, but we should not look down upon them or cast stones at them. Instead, we should learn to help them, love them, care for them. Now we gotta be careful how we care for them. We don't wanna be like Job's friends when they opened their mouths, that's when it became unhelpful. For those seven days when they kept their mouths shut and they sat there with him, they were good friends was when those three men opened their mouths that they became bad friends and gave unhelpful advice and made it worse on Job. So when you see someone who's down and depressed, you know what, they might not wanna hear a Bible verse at that time. They might not want to attend church and we should not look down on them at that time. It's kind of like when we get sick with a stomach bug. We don't want normal food. Sometimes we don't even want the medicine or can take the medicine at the time because it'll make us worse and make us sick. Sometimes what we need is just time, time to rest, time for our bodies to fight off the sickness before we can start taking food. So give it time. Be there with them. Give them grace. We need to be good friends and sit with them and care for them and pray for them and don't give up to them and help direct them to laments when they are ready. And sometimes you might just need to wrap your arm around them and lament for them. Weep with them, which is what point two leads us to. In the darkness, seek God. When you get yourself so down and depressed and if you feel in the darkness, seek God. This is where verses three and four come in. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes... Rejoice because I am shaken. So David in his darkness goes to God and he goes boldly. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. David says, answer me. Kind of remember this was Job. Job boldly to God and said, answer me, God. Talk to me, God. Where are you? And here we see that God understands. David felt like probably God was not listening to him, that God did not care. Notice he says that, lift up my eyes before my enemies kill me. So he feels like death is just closing in on him. Now he's about ready to die. And if you ever read the stories in First and 2 Samuel or 1 and 2 Chronicles, Saul gets pretty close to killing David. I mean, even to the point that David could have killed Saul in the cave or when Saul was sleeping outside of David's camp, but Saul was hot on his tail ready to kill him. And David's just sitting there like, I'm outnumbered. Help me, God, help me. If you remember, David has to play the fool when he gets captured and brought before the Philistine king and has to have drool coming down his beard and acts like a crazy person and riding on the floors and scratching the wall to make him think this isn't the mighty king David or isn't the mighty David that fought. This is a crazy man, get him out of my castle. Maybe David is feeling that before or after, we don't know. But David goes to him. But he also asks God to enlighten his vision, help him see what is going on. And this is a great prayer. We need the light of God to shine upon us and to give us wisdom and knowledge. Now, with that being said, this doesn't mean that when we ask God to enlighten us and we give us wisdom, we're gonna know exactly why we're going to trials. Unfortunately, God doesn't always work that way and doesn't always show us the answer. I know we know Romans eight twenty eight that tells us all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. So first of all, those are Christians. But sometimes, some trials, we might not know the good on this side of glory. Charles Spurgeon never knew how helpful his writings on depression and anxiety and his laments were going to be hundreds of years later, even helping people out today. A lot of his writings are used in biblical counseling realms. A book that is really good is called Spurgeon's Sorrows. But Spurgeon had no clue that good was gonna be used on this side of glory. He died at a young age, not knowing that he was going to help hundreds upon thousands with his suffering before he died. And that's just in God's plan. So David cries out to enlighten his eyes. Let him know. We also know this when Apostle Paul knew the importance of having our eyes enlightened by the Lord. And this is what he prayed for Christians in Ephesians chapter one, verses 17 through 19. And Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. So as Paul writes this prayer to the Ephesians, he prays for them to be enlightened, we should too be praying for God's enlightenment, for God to help us have understanding. And God, for when we don't fully understand to just help us to trust him. Again, this takes time. There's no magic wand that's gonna make you go to these points right away. It takes time. So David is starting to turn to trust in God during the hard times. He's starting to start saying, okay, I need to ask God to help me understand. I need to plead to God for my life, but start giving, start hearing from God and start trusting God. Now, it still might feel like God is far off or God's not hearing. The situation might change, and the trial still can be hard and difficult. You know, it's easy for us to know that how the story ends for King David, because we just flip the next page, and there it is. But David didn't know how it was gonna end. A lot of times when we read these stories of old in the Old Testament, we don't realize that time is like, could be several months to a couple of years, and it's just compressed in just to a few pages. But it took David time months, years before he was allowed back on the throne. And so David doesn't know how the story's gonna end. Of course we do, but David didn't. He just had to trust that, hey, Samuel says I'm gonna be king. He anointed me. I gotta trust that God's gonna take care of this. I'm gonna trust that God is going to fulfill his promise in me and with me. But it takes time. That's when we start moving into number three. Sometimes we cannot rejoice in anything but our salvation. Rejoice in our salvation is point three is here as we go to verses five and six. And David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, sometimes, the only thing that we can see good in our lives might be that Jesus died and rose again and saved us from our sins. That might be the only hope we can cling on to. Charles Spurgeon said, his trials threw him to the rock, meaning Jesus Christ. The Only thing that Charles Spurgeon could understand sometimes during his horrible times was, I don't know why I'm going through this, but Jesus is my rock. He's my salvation. He's the only thing I'm gonna go to. I'm just gonna run to him and pray to him. And there were some times when Charles Spurgeon got up to preach that he would have flashbacks back to that time when he preached in the tabernacle when those kids yelled fire and he watched those people get crushed and stampeded. And there was one time he got up there, he almost couldn't preach because the crowds were so big, it brought that vision back to him. And he said it was only through the Holy Spirit's strength that he was able to muster up enough courage to stand behind that pulpit and preach a very powerful sermon. But his wife said after that sermon, he collapsed in his office and had to be carried out, he was so exhausted from it all. You know, but he trusted and got through it. There might be so much darkness that we can't be happy about anything. Jesus understands. Jesus gets it. And so the only thing we can look to is our salvation. And it is a great thing to rejoice that we who were enemies of God, sinners of God, separated from him, At one point, the Holy Spirit worked upon our hearts and drawed us to him that we would cry out to Jesus for salvation. What a great thing to rejoice. I sit there and think, you know, the queen of England, she had a faith in Christ and was saved. If you think about it, the queen of England can make it to heaven. A lot of people wouldn't question that. They they all think she was really good. But then think about the thief on the cross. Nobody would think he should be in heaven, but he was in heaven too. So you got this horrible man on the cross who, who even confesses to one of the other thief that we deserve this death. We, we deserve, we've been judged rightly by Rome and we are supposed to be crucified. You got him, he's in heaven. And then you got the queen, if you ever study your life, she did a lot of good things. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That could be the only thing that someone has to rejoice in. And so, when you're lamenting, and sometimes you might come to the point of rejoicing, you say, I don't have anything to rejoice on. That's okay. We don't need to rush to be the happy ending. Unfortunately, not everything is like Disney's Princesses and Princess stories with a happy ending. In fact, a lot of people don't get the happy ever after. That's hard. There's a lot of Christian music that claims to be Christian music out there and all they put in this is the happy music. They don't want the hard, truthful stuff. Unfortunately, Christian radio stations have turned away Christian bands that have performed and have written what we would consider lamenting songs. And they've said, no, no, this, is, this isn't joyful enough for us. We don't wanna play it. Because a lot of times all we can grasp is the happy ending. We wanna grasp that the Christian life's gonna be easy. We wanna grasp that the Christian life is always gonna be happy, and that's not the truth. Jesus says we are gonna have many trials and temptations. A lot of times I think we take trials as just temptations for sin, but trials in Jesus' time means hardships, difficult, struggling, persecution, He knew what was coming to his followers. He knew that all his disciples except John were going to be put to death a horrible way. If you've ever read how the 10 disciples died, they're not pleasant. And even John, he was faced hardship after hardship after hardship. And by the grace of God was given a life where he was able to die at an old age, but it doesn't mean it was easy. Patmos was not an easy island. And the they, church history tradition holds that when the emperor who sent John to Patmos died that the next emperor pardoned John and John went back to Ephesus and they said he didn't look good. He was weak, he was frail, he looked old. A lot of people didn't even know that was the disciple John. He looked so bad from those trials that he went through. I bet John lamented a lot. I bet John was sitting there thinking, Jesus, surely this, come back now. Let this now be the time of, of you coming back. You've given me this vision. You're coming back. Take care of the problems now. Jesus, my, my other 10 friends, they've all died. Jesus, the Apostle Paul is dead. Are you going to come back now? I bet John cried out a lot on Patmos, just wishing that the Alpha and Omega would break forth. You know, it was hard. So don't rush to the happy ending. Don't rush to the rejoicing. Let the Spirit of God heal you. And when it is time to lift up your face and rejoice, and you can't think of anything to rejoice for, think of your salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day of my salvation. I will rejoice. And again, I want to caution us as we come to conclusion here that each one of us go through different situations. Each one of us go through hard times different ways. I hope none of you have to face an amputation. It's not fun at all. And even though I have a joking thing with it that's only from the Holy Spirit, it's not easy. But if if you did, you would go through it differently than I did. And I can't say, well, my situation is like this, so you need to do it this way. No, it'd be different for each one of us in this room because our bodies would respond differently. So we take time and realize that each person is different and they will get over or they will get through their things in different ways. But we are called to be there with them on the journey, not to judge them. We are called to walk beside them or sit in the dust and weep with them. That's why in Galatians, Paul says, carry each other's burdens. That's why he says, weep with those who weep. And then, yes, when the good times do come, then we rejoice. It's easy to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You know, I would rather go to, fun- I would rather go to weddings and, do- and oversee a wedding than oversee a funeral because it's a happy rejoicing time. But yet we are to weep with those who weep. But help each other lament the hardships that we face. See lamenting as the gift that God has given it to us. Take it as a good gift. As we know, nothing bad comes from the Lord. So laments are a good gift from the Lord. Cry out during the hard times. And tonight, let us lament together for some of the prayer requests or some of the hard times that we have gone through and our community is going through. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of lament. That you knew when Adam and Eve sinned, that there needed to be a way for your children to express their grief. And you gave that to us in laments. Lord, you you had many men and women write different laments in the Psalms. Some we don't even know who they are, but they cried out to you. Lord, you had your prophet Jeremiah as he wept over the destruction of Jerusalem, wept over his people's sin, and wept over them and had him write a book of lamentations and lamenting. Jesus, thank you for showing us how you wept. You wept over Lazarus and their friends and their mourning and the hardship they had. You wept over the salvation of Jerusalem and how they were going to reject you again because you loved them and cared for us. And Lord, there's gonna be times and there are times where we don't understand why we're going through something so hard and so difficult, that we cannot see the good, that we don't understand how Romans can apply to it. Lord, help us to trust. Help us to cry out in Jesus' name.